All right, let's get to the word this morning. Mark 13. Mark 13. I'm going to read verses 32 through 37. Hear God's word this morning. But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard, keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. Let's pray once more. Our Father, we give our thanks to you this morning for this, your holy word. And Lord, we pray today that you would let your word go forth in demonstration and power of your spirit, that you might use it to accomplish your good and eternal purposes in our lives today. Father, I pray that you would give us eyes that we would see, ears that we would hear, and hearts that would be soft to believe what your word will say. And Father, we pray that by your word, Lord, you would be glorified. And we ask for all of these things today in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this morning we come to the end of our study of Mark 13. For the last two Sundays, we've explored this chapter, and today we come to these final verses. As I've shared with you previously, I remind you again this morning, this chapter is one of the most, and perhaps the most debated chapter in Scripture. Uh, It's commonly referred to as the Olivet Discourse. Uh, It was on the Mount of Olives where Jesus gave this teaching to his disciples for them who asked him privately uh, regarding the announced judgment that he had shared uh, of the destruction of the temple that would take place. They came to him on the Mount of Olives and wanted to know, uh, when is this going to happen and what will be the signs that accompany it? Connected to that, in their minds at least, the destruction of the temple also would bring about the end of the age, the end of time. In the Jewish mind, the temple was the center of life, the center of all things, the center of the world, you might say. And if it was going to be destroyed, it would mean the consummation of the ages was at hand. Jesus' disciples saw these things as synonymous and inseparable. It's Matthew's account of this occasion in Matthew 24, 4, where he has the disciples recorded as asking Jesus, tell us when these things will be, that is, the destruction of the temple, And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? To them, these two things were synonymous. The destruction of the temple and the coming at the end of time. And they wanted to know what would uh, take place when that happened and when would that occasion unfold. Two Sundays ago, as we began looking at Mark 13, we sought to answer the unstated question of the passage, why? Why was the temple going to be destroyed? Uh, We have to understand the why, because if we don't understand the why, the when and the what is really insignificant. And the destruction of the temple was being brought about as an act of God's judgment against his people. They had failed to keep covenant. They had failed to honor God. This was what Jesus was teaching them and showing them at the end of Mark 12, uh, with the widow casting her mites there into the, the treasury chest. That's just one example of many ways Uh, that they had broken covenant. And because of that, God's judgment was coming against them and the temple would be destroyed. Connected to that 
is that now with Jesus upon the scene, the greater fulfillment of the temple was present. Jesus is now the location. Jesus is now the place. Jesus is the person whereby we now encounter God. We come to the Father through Him. The ministry of Jesus is how we are reconciled to God. I love what Peter said in his epistle, uh, that Jesus Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, for this purpose, that He might bring us to God. That's the heart of the gospel. And we come to God solely through His Son, Jesus Christ. He is the greater fulfillment of the temple. And then ultimately, the why is that the destruction of the temple was the advancement of God's plan as well. And the plan of God's uh, redemption, uh, the ultimate end, is that we would dwell with Him forever in a new heaven and a new earth, in that eternal temple, if you will, where He will be our God and we will be His people. That's the unstated why of the passage. Why is the temple being destroyed? An act of God's judgment, a greater fulfillment in Christ, and the advancement of God's purposes. And then last Sunday, we jumped off into the deep end of the theological pool. We dealt with the when and the what. And as we began to look at these aspects of Mark 13, I gave you four broad headings, four broad categories that I think will help us to think well about Mark 13. I shared with you first the essential. This is the main thing of Mark 13, that which we cannot miss. And the main thing, the plain thing of Mark 13 is that Jesus Christ is coming again. This is the non-negotiable of our faith. The end is coming. Christ will return. That is the blessed hope that we hold on to. If you don't believe Christ is coming again, you have no faith at all. And if Christ is not coming again, we're wasting our time here this morning. So Mark 13, for all of its difficulty, and for all of the debate that surrounds the interpretation of this chapter, uh, we can disagree about those lesser things, but we must agree about the essential thing. Jesus Christ is coming again. That's what we hold to. That's the main thing. That is the plain thing of the text. But then we talked about the historical. And this is where we really began to look into the, the when and the what, and, and to interpret what Jesus is saying here in Mark 13. And I shared with you last Sunday that my interpretation of this chapter is that in verses 5 through 31, Jesus is speaking primarily about the upcoming destruction of the temple. That was the pressing question on the minds of the disciples. These things, what are these things? The destruction of the temple. When is that going to happen? And, and I see in verses 5 through 31 that Jesus is primarily speaking about that event. He's giving some markers. He's given some understanding about when that will happen and what signs will accompany it. And he told his followers to be on guard and to look out for those signs so that they would not get caught up in that particular judgment. And we talked about the historical evidence that leads uh, to that understanding as well. However, in this chapter, there is also the connection to the consummation of the ages. Again, this was in the minds of the disciples. Jesus understood that. He, he heard that in their questioning. And so he also addresses that. And that's where we come to this morning. What I gave you as the eschatological, the end of things, the last things, that that element is here in this passage as well. 
I do think there is an overlap between the historical destruction of the temple, which Jesus is speaking about in verses 5 through 31, and what he is speaking about here in our text at the end of the chapter, the end of the ages, the eschaton, the eschatological, uh, eschatological aspect of the chapter. I think there's overlap, but not necessarily overlay. And what I mean by that is we need to be careful about taking the historical things and pressing them upon the general things that Jesus is going to tell us about the end of days. But nevertheless, we come to that. And I think it's clear that that's what's happening in verse 32 because of the significant change that takes place in the words that Jesus uses. Up until this point, in his answer, he's given some very specific replies, some very specific indications and indicators that they can be looking for. He gave his solemn word as well that this generation would not pass until these things take place. What things? The destruction of the temple and the signs that go along with it. But then in verse 32, there's a shift. But, but concerning that day or that hour. In the Greek, it's even stronger than what our, our English can communicate. It's a, it's a shift. Jesus is now turning his thoughts to the consummation of the ages, the end of time, the end of history, the day upon which he will return. And whereas he has given some specifics, Regarding the time of the destruction of the temple, Jesus will now say, no one knows. And furthermore, I see this shift happening because when we get to the end of the chapter, when we get to verse 37, the end of this specific passage, Jesus says, what I say to you, I say to all. Jesus is broadening the audience here. This aspect, it pertains to absolutely everyone. There's application here for for all believers in the regards of the end of the ages and the return of Jesus Christ. So this morning, as we think about the end being near, we're thinking specifically about the eschatological aspect, the end of the age, the end of time, the return of Jesus Christ. I see in this text four thoughts that Jesus gives us. Four thoughts that he shares with us about his coming at the end of the age. That specific day. Jesus moves from those days to this specific day. The day of his return. Thought number one. The day of his coming is undeniable. The day of his coming is undeniable. Now, in some ways, this is a repeat of what I shared with you last Sunday and even what I've mentioned already with you this Sunday, the essential component of the chapter. Jesus Christ is coming again. You mark that down. Jesus Christ will come. The end is going to take place. The end will occur. And God has been pointing us to this conclusion from the very beginning. From the very first verse of Scripture, if we read it carefully, God is is, uh, letting us in on the fact that the end will take place. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In that verse, we hear that there is a beginning, and we go to creation, and God creating everything out of nothing, and we, we think about all that God did in those days of creation, in the Garden of Eden, in the creation of man, in his image, and in his likeness, but don't let it be lost upon you today that there was a beginning. 
Because implied with the beginning is that there is an end that will come. If there is a beginning, there is a sure end that will also take place. And that's what Jesus is speaking of. The day upon which he will return. The end of the ages. The consummation of time. It's going to happen. Jesus makes that plain in the verses before us. He tells us uh, that the time will come. uh, The end of verse 33. He tells us again in verse 36 that he will come suddenly. Jesus is clear. He is coming again. And all things in history at this point are moving to that appointed time. The day of his coming is undeniable. It's going to happen. But it's also undeniable in this aspect. It won't be missed. It won't be missed. When we read the Bible... When we read further into the New Testament, and as we read church history as well, there have been many who have charged that Christ has returned. Some have argued that he he came in 70 AD. Some have argued that he came at later dates, and some have argued that he is coming at certain dates. But what we see Jesus teaching us here in this regard is that when he comes, it will not be missed. It will absolutely be noticed. When he comes again at the end of the ages, Jesus Christ will return personally, physically, visibly, and gloriously. It will not be lost on anyone. When Jesus Christ comes at the end of time, all will know about it. And when he comes, he's coming differently than he did the first time. When he came the first time, he came to lie in a manger. But when he comes the second time, he'll come to sit upon a throne. When he came the first time, he came in humility, wrapped in swaddling cloths. But when he comes the second time, he's coming in the fullness of all of his glory. Uh, When he came the first time, it was as a meek lamb to be led to the slaughter. But when he comes the second time, at the end of the ages, he's coming as a mighty lion to roar out his judgment. His coming will not be missed. It will be undeniable but he is coming again the day of his coming is undeniable it is as paul said to titus in titus chapter 2 the blessed hope the appearing of our god and savior that we look forward to and hold on to today the day of his coming is undeniable secondly we see here at the end of mark 13 that jesus teaches us the day of his coming is unknown The day of his coming is unknown. This is really where Jesus begins in his teaching, verse 32. But concerning that day, that day when he returns, that day at the end of the ages, that day when when everything moves to its appointed purposes, when all is fulfilled in God's plan, that day, that hour, Jesus says, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Jesus makes it crystal clear the day of his coming is unknown. No man, no angel, not even the Son himself knows. John Calvin, in his commentary on that particular verse, wrote, Who are we, wicked creatures that crawl upon the face of the earth, to think that we should have such knowledge that not even the angels themselves in heaven nor the Son above obtain? Who are we to think that we can have that which they have no knowledge of themselves? Jesus says, no man knows. 
that day. Not even the angels and not even the Son himself. This is interesting in Mark's Gospel. This is the one place where Jesus designates himself the Son without any other attachment to it. He doesn't refer to himself here as the Son of Man, simply as the Son. And I draw that to your attention because as we've studied Mark's Gospel, I've reminded you, it seems like nearly every Sunday, that Mark's aim is to present to us Jesus as who? The Son of God, as the Son. And now here we have Jesus owning and affirming that designation. That even the Son, the one whom the Father spoke of at the baptism, this is my beloved Son, the one that the Father spoke over on the Mount of Transfiguration as the cloud of glory covered it. This is my Son. Listen to Him. Jesus says, that's who I am. But isn't it interesting that with that designation, Jesus acknowledges here that, that not even He as the Son knows that day, that hour, that moment when his return will take place. Well, how can Jesus not know? There's some people that find that incredibly troubling. And if that's you this morning, I want to see if I can't ease uh, some of that trouble. When Jesus makes this statement regarding the day and the hour that no one knows, not even himself, what we're getting a glimpse of is an aspect of the incarnation. It's in this statement that Jesus is offering to us an expression and an understanding of his humanity. It was in the incarnation where he took upon himself the form and fashion of man, a servant, that Paul tells us in Philippians 2, 6 and 7, that he laid aside certain attributes of his deity. He was no less divine, he was no less God, but he laid aside certain aspects of that in the incarnation. Uh, we see that in several other places through the gospel, and uh, we see it in, in different ways. We see it when Jesus was hungry. We see it when Jesus was thirsty. We, we see it when Jesus was tired or weary. Uh, all of these are attributes that pertain to his human nature. And as such, in the incarnation, these divine attributes that we associate with God, omniscience being one, were limited. It was in this incarnation that the Father had not revealed to his Son this day, this moment, this hour of his return. But I believe that was just a very limited occasion. And I say that based upon another reference where Jesus speaks of this day. And this reference pertains to a post-resurrection appearance. Uh, this takes place after the crucifixion, after the resurrection, where Jesus appears with his disciples moments before he ascends back to the Father. In Acts chapter 1, verses 6 through 8, Jesus is there. The ascension is just uh, moments away. And he has his disciples, and they ask him the question, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? They're still caught up on this, this consummation thing a little bit. And Jesus replies to them, It is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. Now I find that interesting. Again, this is a post-resurrection appearance. This is Jesus in a glorified state. And Jesus says to them, it's not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father is fixed. Very similar language, but there's, there's something missing in that statement in Acts 1. 
Jesus does not say to them, I don't know. Jesus does not say to them, it's not been revealed to me. He simply stresses the Father has fixed this time. It's at his choosing, at his desire, according to his plan. I think in that, that we can glean that in this occasion, Jesus has retained the divine attributes which he has laid aside in the incarnation. So don't let it trouble you that in this moment, Jesus says, I don't know. It's simply an expression and an affirmation that he is truly human. He is truly man. But why this pressing of Jesus that no one knows the day, the hour, no angel, no man, nor even the Son, only the Father? Why does Jesus draw this to our attention? Well, let me give you a couple of reasons why I think it matters. Number one, the day of his coming is unknown in order that we may avoid deception. In order that we may avoid deception. And if you go back and you read through Mark 13 carefully, that's one of the major things that Jesus is, is pressing upon his followers. Look out for the, the frauds. Look out for the fakes. Look out for those who would lead you astray. And if there was a time that could be known or a man could know it, they're very likely to take advantage of that and lead followers of Jesus into deception, to lead them astray. So Jesus says, no man knows it. So if you hear someone saying that they do, don't believe them. Don't go after them. Don't follow them. If they tell you Jesus is coming back in a certain year, don't sell everything that you have. That's not wise. That's not biblical. Jesus says, no man knows he tells us this so that we would avoid deception. Secondly, he tells us this in order that we would avoid despair. In order that we would avoid despair. Now think about this with me for a moment. Imagine you're there with Jesus. You're one of the followers. He's speaking about the consummation of the ages, when it's going to take place. And Jesus looks you in the eye and he says, in 3,500 years, I'm coming again. Say that one more time for me. In 3,500 years, I'm coming again. 3,500 years? I mean, imagine if Jesus were here today and he said, I'm going to give you the date and the time, and guess what? It's still two millennial away. Could you imagine how crushing that might be? How deflating that would be? What, you mean we still got to go through this stuff that much longer? We, we still got to deal with all this mess that, that much time's remaining? Are you kidding me? Could you imagine how crushing that would have been for them in the early days of the church? So Jesus says, no man knows this day. I believe in part so that we wouldn't lose uh, hope, that we would avoid despair, that we wouldn't grow despondent. Jesus says, no man knows. And then I think a third reason why this matters is that it helps us to avoid delay. And this is really where Jesus is going, where we'll get to in the, uh, the sermon, hopefully, that we would avoid delay. I wonder, any of you here this morning prone to procrastination? If you know that you've got a time when it's got to be done, huh, I still got about two or three minutes. I can put it off and put it off and put it off and put it off. It's, it's, it's part and partial to our human nature, isn't it? Why do today what I can put off till tomorrow? And one of the things Jesus is going to press upon us as he's speaking about the consummation of the ages is, you better get ready. You better, better be about it today. 
Don't put it off. Don't delay in doing what needs to be done. So I think for all of those reasons, Jesus gives us this understanding that the day of his coming is an unknown day. Now, let me remind you that simply because something is unknown, it doesn't mean that it's uncertain. It is undeniable and absolutely certain that Jesus Christ is coming again. However, the coming of that day is unknown. And that leads us to the third thought that Jesus shares. Because of that, the day of his coming will be unexpected. The day of his coming will be unexpected. This is really the emphasis that that Jesus begins to press about that day, that hour, that occasion when he comes again. Jesus tells us, verse 33, the last part of that verse, for you do not know when the time will come. It'll be unexpected. Uh, He comes to the end, verse 36, he says, he will come suddenly. It's this idea that it will be unexpected at a time in which you least expect it. Jesus Christ is coming again. And to stress this upon us, to press this upon us, Jesus gives us a parable, kind of an earthly story with a, a spiritual meaning applied to it. And what's interesting is when you read Matthew's account of the Olivet Discourse, Matthew gives us several parables that Jesus teaches in regards to his coming again. And what many commentators believe is that Mark, in his uh, fashion and his his custom, he kind of compresses things and tells us things very quickly. He just kind of sums them all up in this one parable. This one parable that he gives us here at the end of Mark 13 kind of captures everything that Jesus was saying in all the parables that Matthew gives us. So Jesus tells this story. His coming again is like a man that goes away on a journey. That would be Jesus going away, his ascension back to the Father. He leaves, and he puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. So the master, he departs all of his goods, he stewards into the hands of others. He tells them, I'm going to come again. You make sure you're ready when that happens. You be about the work that I've given to you. You you handle these things in your charge. You stay awake. In verse 35, Jesus says, stay awake. Because you don't know when the master of the house will come. It'll be at an unexpected time. And Jesus goes on and he he gives kind of the, the four watches of the night in this culture. Uh, the, the, the four time frames that Jews and Romans as well would be familiar with. But I, it's interesting how Jesus lists them, how he states them in this parable. He says, you don't know when he's coming. The master of the house will come, but you don't know when. Jesus says, it could be in the evening. It could be at midnight, when the rooster crows, or in the morning. Now, here's what's interesting about that. Jesus gives the order and what would be the typical understanding of a day this time, especially to the the Jewish culture that he was speaking to, their days began at sundown, whereas our days began at sunup. They based that off the days of creation. You remember what the Lord said? There was evening and morning the first day, so they rendered time from the evening as the beginning of the day. But Jesus is telling a story about a man returning, a man traveling and coming back to receive what is his. Well, in this day, in this culture, hardly anyone traveled in the evening and certainly not at midnight. And they probably wouldn't arrive when the rooster crows because they would have been traveling all night 
on that occasion as well. And even in the morning, it's unlikely. So Jesus is giving some time designations here that you really wouldn't expect somebody to show up. Now, we hear that and we go, what's the big deal about traveling at night? I mean, you know, we got cars with headlights and we got street lights and we got all kinds of illumination. Uh, that wasn't around uh, in the early ADs. When it got dark, it got dark. And it got really dark. And you couldn't see what was out there. You couldn't see who was out there. And so many people avoided traveling at night altogether. They, they sought places of refuge and safety when the darkness fell. But Jesus, in telling the story, he's weaving it intentionally. He says, the master of the house may come at evening. It may be at midnight. It may be in the pre-dawn dark when the rooster crows, or maybe just as the morning begins to dawn, the master is coming again, but it's going to be unexpected when you least expect it. In Revelation 16, Jesus speaking there describes his coming again as coming like a thief. Like a thief. Do you have any expectations of someone breaking in your house right now while you're sitting in church? No. You don't have that on your calendar. You don't have that on your itinerary. That's not logged in a, a date book that you keep. Huh. My house will be broken into and burglarized and vandalized and my dearest possessions will be stolen from me by a thief on this date. No, if you knew that was the occasion, you would be on guard. You would be watching. You would be waiting. But Jesus says his return will be like a thief coming in the night. When it's least expected, it's going to happen. In Matthew's account of this answer that Jesus gives, he tells us that the return of the Son of Man will be like the days of Noah. Like the days of Noah. Well, what were those days like? Well, for Noah and for his immediate family that would find safety and refuge and salvation on the ark, they were busy about the business that God had given them. But by and large, all the others, they were just going about business. The thought of what would take place if the heavens opened and the rains came and the earth opened up as well was irrelevant to them. It simply didn't matter. They simply didn't care. There was no thought. There was no concern. There was no weight, no consideration given. That's what it was like in the days of Noah concerning the judgment that God was going to bring. And Jesus says, so it'll be with my return. When people give no thought, when there's no consideration, when there's no concern, when the gospel, when who I am and my return and the end of the ages is simply irrelevant to them. You can mark it down. It will be unexpected. The day of his coming will be unexpected. And that brings us to the last and what I would argue is perhaps the most important thought that Jesus gives us. This is the practical heading that I gave you last Sunday of Mark 13. The day of his coming is undeniable, yes, the day of his coming is unknown. The day of his coming will be unexpected. So on the day of his coming, you don't want to be found unprepared. On the day of his coming, don't be found unprepared. That's what Jesus tells them. Four times in these few verses, Jesus issues the strong command, be on guard, keep away, stay away, stay away. Don't go to sleep. And I say to you and to everyone else, stay awake. What does he mean by that? Does he mean we, we shouldn't get eight hours of sleep at night? No. 
Get good sleep. Take a nap. But what Jesus is stressing here is that we must be vigilant and are looking for and longing for His return. We must be living our lives in such a way that we are prepared when that day comes unexpectedly. That He will find us faithfully uh, in His charge, faithfully caring for what He has given us to steward, faithfully doing the work that He has called us to perform. I love what John Wesley said. The founder of the Methodist Church, preacher, hymn writer, he was asked in regards to the return of Jesus Christ that if you knew Jesus was coming tomorrow, what would you do? And Wesley pulled from his coat pocket his diary and itinerary, and he looked at his next day's events, and he said, I would do these things right here. This is what I would do. He said, I would be about the work he has called me to do. Preaching, teaching, sharing the gospel. You see, we want to be prepared for his return, and being prepared for his return means that we're vigilance and we're giving diligence and effort in doing the work that he has called us to perform. Yes, yes, that means being faithful and sharing the gospel and being witnesses and going on mission. Yes, it means faithful in our, our Christian duties as well, but hear me, it also means being faithful in whatever sphere and circle of influence your life may have. It means that if you go to your job tomorrow, do your job so well and do your job as such a witness to Christ that should He come before the lunch break takes place, you won't be embarrassed by the work you've done. You do it all with the expectation, with the vigilance of knowing that He could come. I must be ready. I must be faithful in stewarding all that he has given to me. All oh, for believers, it means that we're faithful to keep his commands. We're faithful to do his work. We must not be caught unprepared in that way. But there's another element of preparation. Preparation for the return of Christ is of essential importance because on that day of his return, there'll be a great separation. Preparation is important for his return because on his return, there'll be separation. Matthew makes this clear in his account of this day in which Jesus is speaking of. Matthew reminds us that at the end of the ages, there's a great separation that will transpire. When Jesus Christ comes again, as I said, he's, he's not coming as a, as a meek lamb to be led to the slaughter. No, he's coming as a mighty lion to roar judgment. And upon his return, a division of eternity will take place. There will be sheep and there will be goats. There will be those who are saved and those who are lost. There will be those who will enter into eternal delights and there will be those who will be cast into eternal damnation. There will be those who will enjoy the light of God's glory in heaven and those who will be thrown into the outer darkness. There will be those who will know the joy of the Lord and those who will endure wailing and weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is why we must be ready for the coming of Jesus Christ at the end of the ages. Because when he comes, the time to get ready is over. 
When He comes, eternity is set. When He comes, destinies are final. And so Jesus presses upon us, I am coming, and you don't know when, so you better make sure that you're ready. You better make sure today that you are ready because Jesus Christ is coming again. So I ask you, are you ready? Are you ready to meet the King of the ages? Are you ready to meet the King of glory? Is your eternal destiny in heaven secured by your faith in Jesus Christ alone? Or are you unprepared to meet your God? Oh, we would sing that hymn as I grew up in church. Oh, careless soul, oh, heed the warning. Don't face eternity unprepared to meet God. Jesus Christ is coming again. Jesus Christ is coming to judge. Jesus Christ is coming to separate saved from lost, sheep from goats, those in faith, those in Christ, and those who have no part in Him at all. And upon that separation hangs your eternal destination, heaven or hell. And today, Jesus Christ has given you the opportunity to make sure that you are prepared. He's given you the opportunity today to receive grace once more. To call upon His name and knowing that all who do will be saved. So I ask you, are you ready? Are you ready for the day when Jesus Christ comes again? Let's pray. In a moment, we'll stand and sing and have the opportunity to respond to God's Word this morning. And believer, Christian, follower of Christ, may, may this Word from our Savior today press upon you the importance of being found faithful and the task that He has called you to. Being found faithful as a husband, as a wife, as a mother, as a father, as an employee, as an employer, as a witness, as a believer, that upon his return, you'll be found vigilant, diligent, watching and longing. But to you here today that don't know Christ, that have never placed faith and trust in Him. This text is a dire warning. It's a warning that you need to act with urgency to place faith and trust in Jesus Christ as the Son of God who came to take away your sin. Because when He comes again in an unexpected manner, those who have no faith are eternally lost. But the good news of the gospel is that today is the day of salvation. And so while it is today, call upon Him. Trust in Him today. And be prepared for His return. In a moment we'll stand and I'll be down front and if you need Christ today in that way, you can come and we can.
talk with you more, to make sure you understand, to make sure you know that you're ready. But whatever you do, don't be unprepared for that day when he comes again. Father, we thank you for your word today, and I pray that now in the power of your Holy Spirit, you would apply these words to our hearts. They would work in ways that would bring you honor and glory. Father, we thank you for the blessed hope that Jesus Christ is coming again. And Lord, we long for that day. We look with eager anticipation. And we pray, come quickly, Lord Jesus. In his name we pray, amen. Let's stand and let's sing together.